welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Good morning, Bethany family. I look forward to seeing you again someday very soon. We find the Hebrew people today standing in silence on the eastern shore of the Red Sea. The waters cover over the pathway they had just walked, uh, in fact, probably run across, pursued by Pharaoh's chariot army, all of whom have now been drowned. The silence gives way to joyful cheering and dancing. God has set them free. Silence returns. They ponder the awesome power God has shown them. They are on their way to the promised land, the land of Canaan. They're going home. The cheers and dancing begin anew as they realize that indeed they are God's chosen people. What they've not yet grasped is that they are standing on the edge of a desert, really a wilderness, a hard place to be for any length of time. This region between Egypt and Canaan is foreboding. The land is treacherous, not not merely sand like a desert. It is strewn with jagged rocks and difficult undulations. The vegetation is low-lying and filled with thorns. I have never seen such a challenging place. I have walked there. It is clear. This is a place to avoid, if at all possible. In his book, The Land Between, Jeff Mannion writes that this wilderness, this land between is not intended to be their final destination, but rather a necessary middle space where they will be formed as a people and established in their connection with God. He goes on to write that this middle space will serve as a metaphor for the undesired transitions that we too experience in life. As we consider their wilderness experience, may God help us to learn from them so that we may not make the same mistakes and miss out on what God is doing and what God is wanting of us. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, may we, we who have been rescued and redeemed by Jesus, learn from your people who had been rescued and redeemed nearly 4,000 years ago. Help us to learn from their mistakes of not following. Help us to learn from their successes of following. Help us to draw even closer to you in the days of change, of transition, of challenge. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The newly freed Hebrew people are on their way to a land flowing with milk and honey. They've never been there, but they're going home. Listen to Diane as she tells us what happens as the people begin their journey to Canaan. Our reading from Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 27. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Sur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink it because the water was bitter. Mara means bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, 
and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where, they were, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped near the water. Mara is not only a geographical place in the desert of Shur, it is also an experiential place in life. Your doctor tells you that the cause of your pain is a tumor. You have cancer. Mara. Your child tells you they do not believe in God. Mara. Your employer has just given you a two-week notice. Mara. Your spouse informs you that they don't love you. They want a divorce. Mara. Mara happens. Mara is a part of life for everyone. If you have not had sorrow or bitterness, just wait. Mara will come. The question is, what do you do when it does? What the Hebrew people did at Mara was complain. They complained to Moses. Yes, it has been three days in the desert without water. They are thirsty. But they have all been following God's lead, pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. How is this Moses' fault? Three days ago, these people were singing a song of triumph. Today, they sing a dirge of trouble. Three days ago, these people were in a place of blessedness. Today, they're in a place of bitterness. So Moses looks to heaven. And he cries out to God. And God reveals to Moses what he should do. Diane read it. And the bitter water becomes sweet. God shows up and he provides. Their thirst is satisfied. The good news is that God comes to us at the maras of our life. The Apostle Paul puts this in perspective in his letter to the young church in Rome. We know that all things work for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. And for the people of his choosing, God reveals that this is a test for them. God wants to know if they will follow him. And God wants them to know that they are to follow him. They are to listen, listen carefully, excuse me. They are to do what is right. They are to pay attention to his commands. They are to keep all his decrees. And as they do, they will discover that even in the maras of their lives, the Lord will come to them just as he says, for I am the Lord who heals you. Exodus 15, 26. Listen as Diane reads for us what happens next. Our second reading is from Exodus chapter 16, the first eight verses. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had gone, come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, 
If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out here into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, In the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Moses also said, you are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Thank you, Diane. It has now been one month since God set the Hebrew people free. They've passed through the desert of Shur, spent about three weeks at Elam, the place of 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and are now in the desert of Sin, traveling south on their way to Mount Sinai. We find them grumbling again. Some translations say whining, some say complaining. My sense, it is all of the above, complaining, whining, and grumbling. They've come to another Mara, another place of bitterness. First they were hungry, excuse me, first they were thirsty, <laughs> now they're hungry. Once again, the people blame Moses and Aaron. Okay, we were slaves in Egypt, not a good thing, but we had pots of meat, we had plenty of food, and you've brought us to this desert to starve us to death. It would have been better to die in Egypt, not here in the desert. Their ranting continues. Once again, God shows up, this time sending them bread from heaven. When the people see it for the first time, they ask, what is it in Hebrew? That exclamation is one word, manna. God has a sense of humor. When Abraham and Sarah were told they would have a son in their old age, they laughed. Isaac, their son's name in Hebrew, means laughter. Now when the people see the bread of heaven, they ask, what is it? Manna means, what is it? Listen to how the Bible describes this bread of heaven, this manna, in Exodus 16.31. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Sounds pretty good to me. But it did not take long for the complaining, the whining, and grumbling to ramp up. Not manna again. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, manna. Then we need more water. Then we want meat. Then we need more water again. And in addition, there were also the complaining, the plaints, the whinings, and the grumblings between individuals and families. Life was not good for these people, even at the beginning of their journey home. And Jeff Mannion writes this. The Israelites succumbed to a spirit of complaint despising God's provision, rejecting his goodness. They actually longed for Egypt where they were enslaved. 
while a young youth pastor in the San Joaquin Valley of California. I became deeply involved with a place called Faith Home Teen Ranch. Faith Home was a resident ranch for more than 20 boys between the ages of 10 and 18. Some of the boys were housed there by the California Juvenile Court because of their behavior. However, many, if not most of the boys, were there for their own protection. They had been abused at home by a family member. Their stories were heart-wrenching. Life at the ranch for these boys was safe. They had comfortable beds, listening and caring adults, and three nutritious meals a day. They learned farming skills that had the potential for helping them consider farming as a possible way of life for them as they grew up. But whenever one of them ran away, and several did, they ran home, home to their place of brokenness and abuse. Why would they run home to abuse? It was amazing to me. In my six years associated with Faith Home, every runaway, every one, ran home if they ran away at all, which is why they could easily be found. In the light of my Faith Home experience, It is not a surprise to me that the Hebrew people wanted to return to Egypt. It is what they knew, even though they had been slaves there. Faith Home also provided another lesson for me. Along with two other group homes of both boys and girls, there were about 40 kids, and most of them attended our church and the events of our highly active youth program. These group home kids made up about 20% of our junior high and senior high school programming. Sundays, Wednesdays, and regular special events. It was a small town. There wasn't much to do, so we provided the activities. We had a wonderful staff of interns and volunteers who were actively involved in every aspect for youth. There were policies and procedures in place to keep keep things safe for every kid. Many kids accepted Christ or already had. Several felt the call to ministry and are serving the Lord today around the world. And nearly all lived healthy Christian lives honoring Jesus Christ. Yet despite this, I had a small group of parents who complained regularly about the group home kids in our group. They wanted the church to exclude them from our youth ministry, and most particularly from contact with their own children. They sought to undermine the leadership in order to get their way. They snubbed the good people running these group homes, people who also attended the church every week. They made life miserable for many. Tragically, their behavior also diminished the Christian life of some of their own kids, which they had sought to follow. Like their parents, they soon learned to look down upon and dismiss the other kids. And some of them abandoned the church and their parents altogether as they grew older. It was tragic. Sometimes our reaction to people in the Bible is often to wonder how they could not see God so powerfully and miraculously present with them and providing for them. It's amazing how often we come to conclusions that we would not act that way. But is that true? Jeff Mannion writes, quote, We need to see ourselves as prone to the same weaknesses, capable of the same failings, and tempted by the same sins. It is imperative to associate with the characters in the story, even when they're misbehaving, rather than placing ourselves above them. Let me apply a couple of lessons to what has been read and put into perspective for us today. 
COVID-19 is a pandemic of the respiratory system. It is highly contagious. It is exceptionally challenging for people who tend to be older and or with other underlying medical conditions. It is important to practice physical distancing, regular hand washing, and wearing face masks in public, if not for yourself, for those who are most vulnerable. But consider this. Complaining is a pandemic, a pandemic that infects the mind. Complaining is contagious to all the things we think. Whining is a pandemic, a pandemic that infects our heart, our emotions, our will. Whining is contagious to all the things we feel and to the choices that we make. Grumbling or murmuring is a pandemic, a pandemic that infects our soul, our very being. Grumbling is contagious to how we are in all things. Each of these pandemics seeks to derail our lives of vitality with God. Each of these pandemics undermines God's leadership in our lives. Each of these pandemics creates a rift in our trust of God. As I conclude, listen again to the author of The Land Between. The heart drifts toward complaint as if by gravitational pull. After all, complaint seems a reasonable response to a sequence of disappointing events. Generally, you don't have to extend an invitation for complaint to show up. Before we know it, complaining feels right because it is familiar. With every struggle, we become the Israelites murmuring in the desert. We miss the faith lessons. God desires to prepare us and build things into us, but we are hunkered down in our pattern of response. We need to wake up and notice what is happening. How do we evict that spirit of complaint? We can discourage complaints' residency in our lives by inviting another guest to move in with us. The new guest is trust. When we choose to trust in the face of deep disappointment, Complaint has less space to maneuver. Trust evicts complaint. Trust and complaint are incompatible roommates. One inevitably pushes the other out. God was wanting his chosen people to trust him and thus to follow him. God is still wanting his people to trust him and thus to follow him. By God's mercy and grace, may we be a people who trust him and show it by truly following him. To whom are we giving attention? Complaint or trust? Pray with me. Father, forgive us our complaints, our whining, our grumbling. They are not the roommates you want for us. They are not the roommates we want either. Help us to recognize that you are God. You are trustworthy, that our trusting in you is not only what you want, trusting in you is what we need. Help us in the good days. Help us in the ordinary days. Help us in the difficult days to trust you fully. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. God bless you.